So anyway, I'm trying to think of a Speaking good... of courts. I mean, King right, Leopold it's... had a court. Yeah, exactly. Boom. We got it. We got there. We're there. Yeah. So we've got that. Um, welcome back to Cacistocracy. This is episode 10. Double digits, folks. Also, part two of King Leopold's episode, which will be the conclusion, the exciting conclusion of King Leopold's story arc as being a horrible person. So, kept you waiting, huh? I hope there's a recap because <laughs> just like the listeners, it's been a while since I've heard part one of this story. I can try and give a brief recap. So, I think I actually let me pull the script up. That would probably be important, right? We're, On the last we've, episode, we've been off of for a month. Gakistar- My level of professionalism might have dropped in that time or something. Um, but yeah, so sorry we were off for a month, everyone. I know all of you, you know, the, the five people or less that listen. So yeah, that was, I don't know. I don't want to make excuses. We were off for a month. I'm actually going to try and edit this podcast tonight. So that way it can still be uploaded tomorrow morning. Damn, um, so we son. Can, we can hit our normal Wednesday morning publishing date. So we'll see how that goes over uh or not we'll find out legend but anyway so king leopold ii when we left off and then talked about drones for a week and then just kind of had this long awkward pause king leopold he had just uh gotten recognition from the united states for forming the congo free states so as we briefly talked about or i shouldn't say briefly we talked about for an hour in the last episode we had like uh, King Leopold. He was the king of Belgium uh, during the late 1860s and very early 1900s. And That's the one from Austin Powers. I. Oh right, yeah the Belgian the Belgian dip or whip. We made that joke <laughs> last time. It's called a Belgian dip. Yes, I remember making that joke, yeah. and then or Dylan made the joke, and then he had me insert the clip into the episode. So yeah. If, awesome. If you listen to the last episode, maybe you remember that. So he was uh, king of. Also, yeah, go listen to the part one if you haven't listened to that, or else you'll be totally lost. So King Leopold, he was being king of Belgium, but Belgium's a tiny country in Europe, right? So he was like, ah, oh, this kind of sucks. It's such a small place. All I've got is my Belgium waffles and chocolates. If only I could, you know, have like slave labor. Like, wouldn't that be nice? And I could make a lot of money. That that was that's uh, that's from his memoirs. That's a direct quote. Definitely, slavery is yeah, hell yeah. So yeah, it's it's like there's no expenses to it. It's crazy, but I mean, you have to feed the slaves. I, but, oh man. Do you though? Like, you can feed the slaves. No, I mean, have they may to feed last. The slaves. It's like, you know, it's you, you have equipment, right? And in theory, if you do maintenance on the equipment, it will last longer. But you could always just find new equipment. Like, say there's an abundance of equipment and you don't want to take the time to do maintenance on the ones you already have. Because, you know, you can just get more. Like, let's say it's that type Lord. of situation. So, Isn't it, like, kind of disgusting that that is how those human lives were valued? Yeah, no, that's pretty depressing. Like, that's, that's crazy. And that's what we're going to be diving into as a primary good thing, topic. Good thing all human life is valued and never, like, 
weighed against its economic value <sighs> in the present day. Yeah, no, that's good too. Very yeah. So anyway, so he uh you know, Congo was this largely unclaimed actually an unexplored area of the world at the time in the sort of mid to late 1800s or I shouldn't say unexplored cuz obviously like the people living there kind of knew how it was but unexplored, unexplored by, your... by whitey yeah exactly and uh believe it or not hadn't really had a flag planted on it yet by any other european place even though they had pretty successfully at that point in time pretty much europe just controlled everywhere during the 1800s like for the most part if like you, Do you just... so the here this is a phil- this brings up a philosophical question though if native peoples had flags, would they still have been colonized? I I, I do understand. I do uh, recognize the reference there, but probably. I'm assuming a lot of native peoples technically did have some sort of like banners or something. Like I, I maybe like the tribal areas didn't have it as much, but like I'm sure when they got over to like China, like the Chinese had flags, right? Like well, in China, they had to derail with opium, but that's another episode. Yeah, yeah. That, that is another episode, I'm sure, at some point. I haven't officially added that to the list yet, but I'm sure it will make it at some point. So, anyway, 1800s, most of the world's under the control of Europe. They're all doing exploitive extractions, practices, you know, some better than others. And Leopold, he pretty much takes cues from the worst ideas of just how to do like basically again just purely extractive colonization and just not really any interest in making the place better even though that was what he told everyone else he was doing and again just like how do we extract as much raw material and wealth out of this place as possible uh and ivory is also a thing at this time that people really want so that's sort of the main driving profit maker that he was after in the Congo and the Congo actually had a lot of it. So the uh, Antwerp needs their piano keys. Yes, exactly. And their billiard balls. So anyway, so he gets, uh, he, he does this whole propaganda campaign. Again, we're just briefly recapping episode one here. Basically does this whole propaganda campaign. He hires uh, Henry Morton Stanley to do a bunch of exploring for him in the Congo uh, try and map it out a little bit and cut some paths through the jungle and whatnot. And eventually he gets recognition for his Congo Free State, which is owned exclusively by him. It's a st- it's basically like he is essentially the ruler of two separate states for all practical purposes. It's not that he rules Belgium and then Belgium also like encompasses, you know, the Congo Free State. It's like, no, it's like basically he's the, the head of state of two separate entities. At well, the when same you file time. your taxes, if you file one big country, you get taxed more than <laughs> two little countries. So that there makes you go. sense. Yeah. yeah. Although the Congo is kind of a big country, being that it's 76 times the landmass of Belgium. So uh, it's a bit of an upgrade from his previous. Do you think he ever thought about like abandoning? Uh, belgium and just be like no i'll just be king of congo he never i mean he never even visited the congo is the crazy thing that he never set foot in the country I oh he was like a little too you know like look i'd have to leave my comfy castle in order to do that and it's like gross 
and you know it's mostly jungle and there's like more mosquitoes that give you malaria yeah I say all kinds of weird bugs and shit yeah yeah so i think he probably just figured uh, you know i'll just do some remote oppression like <laughs> very <laughs> he was a modern i'm gonna ruler. skype in i'm gonna skype into my slavery yeah exactly okay like, all of you guys have zoom. all of you guys have to show up to work but i'm gonna i'm gonna stay remote i'm just gonna stay at home it's fine is the boss ever going to stop by? Like, maybe. He's on a Zoom meeting later. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, now we're kind of briefly caught up and recapped. And, yeah, the Congo Free State is born. So, okay, yeah. So, he's just gotten recognition from the United States as the first official country to, like, recognize the sovereignty of the Congo Free State. Or, technically, states as it had been sold to the Americans using terms that made it seem like it would be more akin to like some sort of African United States that he was trying to form. Uh, however, this quickly mm. morphed into a state singular. And meanwhile, the International African Association, which you'll remember was basically like the holding company that Leopold had set up to do this whole acquisition under the guise of being this philanthropic organization. I was quickly metamorphosizing. The association was, according to a quote at the time from a Belgian journalist, a purely temporary body and would disappear when its work was completed. So Leopold's biggest remaining challenge was working out the minutia of making sure that the other powers would follow after the U.S. in endorsing his claims. Britain and France were principally concerned that the other would have some claim to the land and didn't really care if Leopold took it. So as long as he didn't end up selling it to the other ones, they were pretty good. He would basically buy both of them off by giving them like some different land rights uh, and holdings in the area. But he still got control of, you know, the vast, vast majority of it. Uh, the most difficult recognition to achieve was that of Germany, where Chancellor Bismarck was somewhat open with how he felt. So Leopold wrote to Bismarck um, that he was claiming the area abandoned by Egypt, where the slave trade continues to flourish, to allow these to be incorporated into and administered by a new state, would be the best way to get to the root of the trouble and eradicate it. Because again, he's like doing all this under the constant guise of he's like helping the local people. He's abolishing the illicit slave trade. Because technically, like in most of Europe at this point, slavery has become illegal. Slavery is illegal in the U.S. by this point too, because uh, it's post Civil War. And yeah. unless so, you're arrested for a crime, that's yeah, and that's still the case, I guess, in most places for being fair but yeah um and so bismarck script but anyway so that's what uh leopold wrote to bismarck and bismarck scribbled next to this section swindle on his copy of the document oh my <laughs> which is that's kind of good. awesome um he also called the reference to it as a confederation of free states a fantasy Eventually, Bismarck relents, though, and decides that by allowing Belgium to claim the Congo, it'll at least be, like, more open to German interests and trade and business uh, than if one of the other major players were to take it. Because, again, like, the idea that somebody was going to take it 
is kind of inevitable at this point, right? That's just how the world is. Yeah, we're not just gonna leave those people alone. Yeah, like, why would we do that? They can't be trusted to rule themselves. There's ivory in there. Yeah, that's valuable, and they're barely doing anything. Let them have the ivory. We need it for our. Where does the ivory come from? Uh, well, that's Uh, from elephants. You see, that's what I thought. Yeah, the tusks. Yeah. Yeah. So you can imagine it's a rather destructive harvesting operation. So, yeah, the idea that this place was going to be left on its own is just, yeah, it's a foregone conclusion. Europe is in full swing slicing up Africa at this point, with many leaders, including Leopold, often literally referring to the continent as a cake in writing and correspondence. Like, they're just, they're actually, like, talking back and forth to each other about how to best slice up and devour this delicious African cake. Like, that's the Lord. actual language they're using. If they were actually talking about, like, a type of African cake, it would be adorable. It would be pretty funny. <laughs> just like all these royals talking back. Have you tried the African cake? Would it be zebra cake? Oh, oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh man, I haven't had a zebra cake in a long time. Yeah, it's been a couple of years at least. Those are like those are easily A tier, little Debbie. Like, yeah, not S tier. <laughs> we should make a cactusocracy, uh, little Debbie tier list. Just, I'm on it, dude. Well, sure. Bonus episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll just uh, do a tier list episode. We could do like hostess bankruptcy, even though it's not government incompetence. It's, like, oh know, yeah, there you go. Incom- incompetence, but. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's a discussion for another day. You could argue so, this episode is also business incompetence because essentially the Congress Free State is being run as a weird business slash all right, state. So, so here's a little aside. I had a, a little. I wasn't going to get into the thing, but now you've now you've triggered me as an as an anarchist. Ooh, uh, no. So like. <laughs> A, a corporation, every corporation is an extension of the state because every corporation is a legal entity, right? So, I mean, I, I don't know, it's, it's somewhat semantics, but it's it's an idea I pondered, I had a while ago, right? Is that any, any corporation, especially a limited liability corporation, like something, it can literally only exist as a legal entity and thus can only exist as part of a state, right? A corporation can exist outside of the existence of a state so if a corporation or a business a complex business does something it's kind of an extension of that government if you think about it i mean i mean that's one way of looking at it you could also say you know obviously you could have a collection of people working together and say that's sort of a business that could exist in a society that you know doesn't have state involved that that would be a cooperative yeah yeah those those exist but I mean, I mean, like I said, you're getting into huge semantics territory here. Is like, I mean, but I just thought that was a thought I had that I thought was relevant to the conversation we were having. I'm not going to argue whether Are it's true you or not. an extension of the state because you have legal paperwork and documentation that identifies your existence and who you are and what you're about to the yes. Year. Okay. Yeah, I, I Dylan. Think that holds Dylan's up. a part it, of the U.S. To, government. Yeah, I mean, Dylan's, to the, a, to Dylan's the, a Fed. 
to the point you capitulate with Kick a new organization, out. you're a part of it. I mean, Kick him out of the Discord call. <laughs> oh, shit. Everyone burn your... If you're a true anarchist, go burn your social security cards and live in I the mean, woods. it it had occurred to me. <laughs> oh... I'm not. Maybe I'm, I'm just working off the working up the courage. Okay. This guy doesn't have a social security number for Roy. <laughs> Taking Roy off the grid. So, anyway, so in 1885, following the conclusion of yet another conference, because again, this is what governments love to do: is just have conferences and talk about things and whatever, decide the fates of other people without Naturally. their involvement and input. Um, King Leopold of Belgium also becomes king sovereign of the Congo. In no other way are the two's governments directly connected. Uh, Belgium's other government institutions have no power in the Congo. It's just the king. Uh, the Belgian parliament was actually persuaded to pass an amendment to allow Leopold to be sovereign of another state simultaneously, so long as it was not a financial drain on Belgium and supported... Uh, by the king personally. So is he? Is there anyone else that we know of in history that ruled two countries? Because that is a pretty fucking baller move. That's a pretty fucking Chad move to be like, "Yo, I'm in charge of this country and this other country." Like, it would be an interesting thing to look into. Yeah, if there was another arrangement like this, because obviously, like, empire is a thing, but like that's yeah. again, that's like the country itself. Sort of but yeah, extend... it's, it's ruled through the bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah, it's ruled through the bureaucracy of the country. It's right. not ruled directly Big. by. <clears throat> it's, it's not like just having like... two Minecraft servers that are yeah. completely <laughs> unrelated. Yeah, it yeah. would be like if the president he's got his whole, he's got a full cabinet and he's got his like the Senate and the House of Representatives and all the federal agencies and whatever like in one part and he talks to them and then he's like oh I gotta I gotta like dip out and go to my other job. <laughs> And he, like, jumps on a plane and flies up to Canada or something. And there's, like, a whole separate, yes, like, cabinet and the Yeah, I like the idea there. that he has to clock out for one before he clocks <laughs> yeah. into the other. Yeah. Uh, Big alpha chat hours. So, yeah, so that means financially the entire operation, though, has to be supported by Leopold's personal fortune and also outside investors in the hopes that they will soon have things up and running enough to be profitable and hopefully self-supporting. So for the first few years, uh, the go-to resource, as we previously hit on, is making, um, is it's ivory. That's what's making the money at the moment. So mm -hmm. ivory, for anyone who is unaware, it's elephant tusks. And elephants don't generally like to part with their tusks, so harvesting ivory involves killing the elephant, right? Oh, so ivory was used essentially like an early and more luxurious form of plastic at the time because it was easily carvable into different shapes. So you could make little trinkets with it. You could make, yeah, as we kind of mentioned, piano keys, billiard balls, uh, all sorts of um, decoration and jewelry was made with ivory. So ivory was it was like it was common but at the same time also like is like obviously a little more higher class than like plastic is today but sort of used in a similar way where we can we you can just kind of make anything out of it within reason uh so people it's were like excited. the fluffy tree stuff from the lorax and uh, it it goes together in perfect harmony with ebony 
Get out. And then you can sell elephant steaks. Um, I I'm imagining an alternate history where like plastic was never developed, so we just like started farming elephants and like breeding them for larger and larger tusks just like, so, like factory instead of farming of elephants yeah factory farming elephants but they would be like yeah they, they would be like bred smaller elephants with like larger tusks so and yeah have, they, like, can, they can barely like... move and you're just like force feeding them and their tusks are so huge that like yeah they can they can't we should probably that. stop talking because we're going to give corporate america an idea that is interesting you just said something about elephant steaks uh huh. Is that a, is that a thing? They didn't actually sell because obviously, like refrigeration wasn't a thing. I assume they were eating elephants in the country, but like, yeah. no, it's not like they could they couldn't actually like export the elephant steaks. So, um, but yeah, you can. Fun eat an elephant. fact about elephants: they visit the sites of their dead. Yeah, huh. which is, which is um, like super creepy. Which yeah. means they have some idea of life and death. Which is like well, that's just kind of depressing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, dear listener, I extend this question to you. When was the last time you visited one of your <laughs> dead relatives? Because I certainly have never in my entire adult life. So that means elephants in my book have more humanity than me. I guess. You've, yeah, you've never done that. I've done that. I've gone to like graves. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, I just always assumed their spirit was like, uh, you know, in in the great hall, and that you know their body was just, you know, I, I don't know, like that. The whole grave thing for, I, I don't want to get into the whole afterlife thing. I mean, could you imagine though a sad elephant? Is there anything more depressing in this world? than a sad elephant yeah, that's why dumbo resonates with children <laughs> so well fair enough that and the racist crows oh i forgot about the racist crows <laughs> we ain't ever though seen an elephant uh, no 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 guy. don't do the voice don't do the voice what's wrong <laughs> i'm with just you? imitating the dumb that's what they say Okay, here's here's the new rule, and this I was just using Pelican. the N word in a quotation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it was just a quote. Uh. I I think I think whenever we quote a show or something, you need to just replace our quoting with it with the actual clip. Okay, so if I can find the racist, if you can clip find from it, Dumbo. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Though, that actually, maybe that way I don't that get canceled. We don't want to be maybe, canceled. Maybe not that one because then Disney. It's well, oh, will yeah, we get Disney canceled will or will us. Disney kill us? Yeah. Like, hmm, damn. The, <laughs> Sophie's choice. The ultimate trolley problem. <laughs> Either be canceled or be assassinated by the mouse. <laughs> All right. So it's moving swiftly onwards. Uh, the natives of the land were forbidden from selling ivory to anyone except an agent of Leopold's free state, and they were often paid a fraction of what this is worth, if they were paid at all. I think that's called a monopsony, I think, when uh, when you have a single buyer market. Hmm. Because we're all familiar with monopoly, which is, you yes. know, you have one thing that can, like, they control the distribution or production of a thing. Usually of Park Place and Baltic Avenue. Right. Yes, that's the yes. Str- that's the strategy. But a monopsony, I believe, is what it's called when you have a market in which you could theoretically have multiple sellers, but only one potential buyer. So I think uh, that's used to describe like a lot of 
a lot of like defense products are considered like you know monopsonies uh, because only only the state you know mm. buys them oh, that's uh, interesting yeah yeah usually monopsonies typically only exist because of a government uh because obviously that would like, make sense yeah obviously if anybody else could buy it they would so yeah so usually it's because the a government or a controlling interest is like legally preventing other people from having something is the only time you get monopsonies mm. typically um or if it's just something that's so expensive that no one else can afford it so anyway sorry sidebar there uh his, so no, that's a neat vocab word. Yeah, now you yeah. have to write that I've down. And it. at the end of the semester, we will review the vocab words from cacistocracy. Yeah, first cacistocracy in and of itself is kind of a vocab word. Now you have monopsony. So you're welcome, listeners. Yeah, we're, you're well on your way. So part of the reason they were paid so little is that the incentive structure that Leopold put in place for his agents was highly encouraging of this. So his agents were paid on commission and they would receive a percentage, you know, of the ivory they collected. They would receive a percentage of what that ivory sold for on the market. However, the commission was actually a higher percentage based on the less money they paid for the ivory. So if an agent bought ivory for eight francs per kilo from the natives... Uh, they received a 6% cut of the sales, but if they got ivory for 4 francs a kilo or half as much, they received a 10% cut of all the sales from that ivory. So again, the incentive structure for all of the men that Leopold was employing to collect the ivory was basically just to get it for as cheap as possible. And of course, there's also instances in which they were basically just taking it and not really giving anything in return because you know uh you can you can just shoot people and do things like mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. so especially that's... yeah when they don't have guns yeah then you have guns then yeah you can just take their ivory yeah like you think someone who's enterprising like might realize like if they treat their particular group really well maybe they might create more ivory for them um, you know, because they'd be better workers or something. Someone like with like some virtuous mindset might think that, but then I think the the uh, incentive of making twice as much uh, on your commission, basically, and the fact that there's like endless supplies of natives, seemingly, yeah, I don't I don't know how many virtuous ivory harvesters there really were in this area, or if that thought really crossed anyone's mind. Because that's like, I feel like that's the virtuous, like, capitalist argument is like, well, if we treat the workers better, maybe they'll produce more. So really, you know, treating them better would actually make everything, so, you know, more. So, yeah, the, but... the latter assumes rational actor, right? That's yeah. the, that's the, the framing. See, like, you, 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 you brought up, you brought up capitalism. Yeah. So feel free to edit this part out or not. <laughs> but the. The, the the saying says rational actors acting freely in a market, yada, yada, yada. But the problem is, is people are very often not rational. They're impatient and they're horny and they're hungry. Well, that's, and that's the whole joke and... with economics as a field in general, where, like, you know, they say, like, economics assumes that people will always act rationally. And that's why economics is such a horrible field, because economists were the only people for the longest time who seemed to think that they could always just assume that humans would act rationally when everyone else yeah. was pretty much aware that no, like people very rarely act in a rational manner. 
That's why so, advertising works, is because you can be convinced to buy something based off of emotion. In fact, that's what works better than anything else, is appeals to your emotions. Anyway, that's all, that's all. So, we're taking ivory from these poor gunless fucks. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> and also, most of the payment, when they were paid was doled out to the Africans. It was it was in the form of beads and cloth or other Hell commodities. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Did any of it have polio or <laughs> smallpox? Oh my god. <laughs> I mean the smallpox vaccine had actually uh, been around for about 100 years at this point, so it was beginning to be less of a problem. Uh, uh, so they had to move on to like what Spanish flu. I forgot what year we're in. We're I in forgot the, what tech tree. We're in like the 1880s at the moment. Ah, oh, so. word. Okay, so almost Spanish flu time. Almost Spanish flu, not quite. But, uh, yeah, so money was technically, like, forbidden for the natives to exchange amongst themselves. So it was it was feared that if they could develop too much of, like, a free circulation of their own economy, it would hurt, like, the free state's ability to, you know, exploit them. So they were pretty much prohibited from actually, like, exchanging currency amongst themselves. That's why they were rarely paid in it. So every time you say free state of Congo, I picture quotation marks around free. And every time you say it, the quotation marks get bigger and bigger (laughs) and bigger. Exactly. (laughs) Hold on a second. Sorry. Love you. Sorry, my wife is. I love you, too. Yeah, my wife's going to go see a movie with uh, her family. So, is it Spider Man? It is. I'm missing oh, out on Spider Man, so that way it's you guys so good. Oh, podcast. you should go see Spider Man with your wife. I you will... should stop this. You would have a much better time. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do a part three. Doing. I will probably. End In up fact, seeing if you're listening soon. to this podcast <laughs> and you haven't seen Spider Man yet, you should probably pause the podcast and go watch Spider Man because we're actually about to spoil Spider Man for you. <laughs> Spider-Man, actually, the new one just repeats the plot of the Congo Free State, actually. It's actually all James Franco. (laughs) (laughs) He's Spider-Man in this one, but it's him going through his history of sexual assault. Okay. (laughs) I don't remember that part of the movie, but... So... (laughs) You went to the bathroom for that. Mm. Anyway. For about 90 minutes of James Franco. (laughs) So, men were forced to do labor uh, at gunpoint or with their wives and family being held hostage. Uh, They were forced to do pretty much all sorts of work from collecting the resources themselves, you know, or uh, from hauling them to their destination. They were frequently worked to exhaustion with one particularly terrible account recalling that of 300 men, quote unquote, hired to haul equipment to a newly founded outpost. Uh, not a single one ever returned to their home village. Jesus Christ. Oh. So, so, yeah, children as young as six or seven were put to work hauling goods until they literally dropped out of exhaustion in many cases. What the fuck? Giant elephant tusks were hauled in some cases over a hundred miles before they could actually be loaded onto like a steamboat or one of the small railroad lines that had managed to be hacked through the jungle. Okay, I'm less excited about the beads now, guys. Yeah. So, the instrument that Leopold used to exert this force needed for the forced labor was his force publique, 
consuming about half of the actual expenditures of the free state, the Force Publique was a mercenary army of some 19,000 men, and it was the most powerful fighting force in Africa at this time. Most of the Force's units were black men commanded by white officers. These officers came from Belgium itself, obviously, um, but they also were recruited from the militaries of other nations. Many armies at the time were actually willing to give their men a couple of years leave in order to obtain field experience. So you had uh, officers in the Force Publique that were recruited from Belgium, the United Kingdom, France, you had Poles and Germans, and yes, Americans... And probably, yeah, and probably other nationalities as well. Um, I like the idea of the guy going up to his CO and being like, will you sign my permission slip to go do genocide in Congo for a couple years? <laughs> yeah, sure. And of course, they're being paid pretty this well, is, too. This is great experience for you, boy. Yeah. You'll good, learn a lot about killing helpless and defenseless people. Good experience. You get to build up a nice little nest egg for yourself, you know, more You'll so. need that experience finishing off the Native Americans. Okay. So, yeah, the Force Publique was known for being particularly brutal, as if that was going to be a surprise to anyone. Uh, <laughs> so the Wikipedia article of the Force Publique manages to get about four paragraphs before getting to a subheading titled atrocities <sighs> I mentioned that most of the soldiers were black and how these black men came to serve is uh, kind of an atrocity in and of itself for many of them so many of them were literally like sold into slavery by local chiefs or abducted by the force itself and then just mm. yeah you're just impressed into service so so, so like First order stormtrooper situation. Yeah, there. In in some cases, that's literal because there's also some yeah child soldier stuff going on here. Of um, course. So there were three children's colonies, as they were called, which took young African boys and trained them to be soldiers. These three facilities were the only state-funded schools in the Congo Free State. So that's that's cool. neat. Cool. Huh. So yeah, and I from some of the different. So uh, did they ever? Did they ever get smart enough to at least put the children into Gundams or Avas? I guess. Uh no, not that I'm See, aware of. That's the trick with the child soldier is that yep. without the Gundam, it's just a child, and you <laughs> can just kick him over. They also. Uh, that's true. The survival rate at a lot of these particular like child like military schools was about half so like only about half of the kids like honestly actually made God, it. better damn. than i thought you were gonna say sub 30 but so that's okay i mean like they need soldiers i guess so it's like you gotta make sure at least some of them make it to the yeah, front yeah, line, yeah. i guess now how young are these child soldiers it was, well? it was kind of a range i didn't get like an exact it didn't have like an exact source but I mean, like, I believe I just some imagine of them, a baby. I don't think you had <laughs> like, yeah. actual infants, but I think you had kids like coming in as young as like you know they're like eight and nine years old, and then they'd be in there for several years until they were like a t- teenager. At which point, they'd yeah, be, so like, I was picturing like to nine to fourteen. I was yeah. picturing a baby yeah. with like a helmet that was too big and a musket. 
Uh, well, we're past muskets by this it's like, point. It's we like have, uh, teething car- we have cartridge. Well, yeah, weapons. but I'd imagine you're not going to give them the nice cartridge weapons. They're well, your slave soldiers. They weren't. It's not like they were getting like the machine guns, um, yeah. which there were some machine guns already at this point. Just a couple, but which of course were super useful in like mowing down villages. But you did have yeah cartridge-fed rifles, and we'll get into one of the particularly terrible practices that came about in relation to that in a little bit here. Um, oh goody! I, I feel can't like wait. I'm gonna need a drink before the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah. So now, as you might, ex- oh sorry, were you saying something, Billy? I lost my thought. Actually, don't worry about it. Okay. Be gone, so, thought. So, as you might expect from an army made largely of conscripts, slaves, and indoctrinated children, uh, revolts and mutiny were pretty plentiful. So, some of the largest and most difficult battles that the force public fought were essentially against itself. Hell yeah. So, in the 1890s, a force of almost 3,000 men revolted and killed their white officers uh, and began a three-year-long war with the Congo Free State. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. So while most of these rebels would eventually cross the border into neighboring countries and settle down, uh, they would kill hundreds of Leopold's men in the process before they eventually decided they were better off just like, you know, leaving and finding someplace else they could live in peace. Um, They would also face like dozens of rebellions. They were basically just constantly fighting somebody all the time all over the Congo. So, so they, it really was really good practice. Yeah. So they were constantly fighting multiple guerrilla groups in different corners of the country. These operations would range in success and duration, but generally speaking, uh, the tribes of the region were good at making life annoying, but they just couldn't stand up to the modern weapons and discipline of the force. Uh, at best, most of the rebels were able to do was maybe assassinate a white officer or something, or maybe some of the bureaucrats that were collecting uh ivory but that they you know the force public would show up and you know murder a bunch of them so well that's pretty cool yep so yeah the force public would have no issue killing lots and lots of congolese so the biggest uh the biggest windfall of the profits came during the 1890s when a new commodity came into high demand rubber So, while King Leopold had scarcely considered rubber when he was first going about claiming the Congo, he suddenly found that half of his massive colony was covered in wild rubber vines that were suddenly incredibly valuable. So, while the ivory business would keep going steady, that would... That's like when you tech up and you find out all the oil is on your side of the map. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Rubber vines? Vines, yeah. So, like... What? yeah, I thought there's rubber there's came from natural a rubber. There is natural rubber. Yeah, I did not know that. that is I thing. always assumed rubber was like plastic. No, or it's, like a well, type of plastic. I know. I thought early rubber. Rubber. It's like you tap a tree for it. Like you it's basically a kind of you sap actually that basically you treat. do. Uh, you're tapping the vines in this hmm. case. I so I did write down some of the information on harvesting rubber. I, again, most of my source from this comes from King Leopold's ghost. This and he man was de- prepared. They were describing oh. um, harvesting the rubber, and I, I thought it was the way they were describing it. I thought it was vines. Maybe it's vines growing. The vines were growing on trees. Maybe they're coming from the trees themselves too. So maybe the vines are part of the trees. 
Um, I, I thought they were just growing on the trees, but maybe the vines are actually... We'll have to look that up, I guess. That is but bananas. The vines are all that. over the trees, is the point. Regardless of whether they're actually a part of the tree or whether they're just, you know, coexisting with the tree. Um, Again, another philosophical question. Yeah. So, uh, this is when, like, the colony is actually going to become profitable. So, like, for the first few years, actually, like, King Leopold's just barely scraping by and, like, swindling investors out of their money to, like, actually keep the thing going in the hopes that eventually he's going to figure out how to exploit it enough to get, you know, a return on investment out of it. Because, like, the ivory, like, sure, he was making money on it, but it wasn't actually enough money compared to the amount of expenses there were and you know, all the soldiers and all the bureaucrats and how hard it was to, like, you know, get steamboats up into different parts of the river and, you know, cut, like, a thin line rail gauge or a thin gauge railroad, like, through the jungle. Because literally, again, the thing about the um, Congo River is that, like, large parts of it have, like, rapids that are inaccessible. So literally you would just use the steamboats to, like, get as far as you could down one part of the river then, like, unload the steamboat and, like, hike the stuff a few miles, like, past the mm. rapids and then go to a different steamboat and load it on there. Huh. And so, literally, like, those steamboats, it's not like you could just, like, sail them up, sail them across the ocean and then, like, you know, sail up the river. It's like you literally are, like, disassembling steamboats and, like, carrying them to the parts of the river where they can be used and then reassembling them so they can be used in that part of the river so Jesus. like kind of rough and of course you're just enslaving people and you know half of them might drop dead carrying all the steamboat parts but it's fine um so There's yeah it's always more slaves exactly so king leopold he discovers he's got you know rubber which is sweet um and he's you know been barely avoiding bankruptcy up till now and so now he's like got this giant windfall that just falls into his lap. So he went from piano keys to condoms. <laughs> Truly, the the pivot that he needed. Um, yeah, pianist sure. to penist. <laughs> uh, so the primary benefit of this wild rubber uh, was that it required almost no capital expenditure. He could already use the steamboats and roads that were in place to collect it. And, of course, you know, the slaves. Uh, and there was no need to plant or cultivate it or tend it because it grew wildly in his lands. And so this gave him a huge head start on the other rubber producers who were just, like, getting around to, like, planting plantations of it, which would take years to grow. And, you know, you got to multiply it slowly mm. so it takes a while to actually get it up to muster plus you know those guys are like actually paying some of their workers so like yeah their profit fools. margins are just yeah what yeah. fools so mean so they you know all these places that are like trying to like start plantations to grow rubber there's like it's going to take a while for them to get to a point where they can approach the volume that yeah, even all... become a competitor like... right exactly so he's got a pretty big head start, and so he's going to be dominating the rubber market for basically the better part, like more than a decade uh, before Break the down, other places can start to catch up. Rubber band man. So all Leopold needed was hard labor to go out and harvest the rubber, and thankfully he'd already figured that part out. Uh, you know, he had the force publique. 
No, no, no. He wasn't going to use the force to go gather the rubber. He was just going to force, you know, everyone else with the force to go. Force the, the public to go. Yeah. 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 So uh, gathering wild rubber is, you know, kind of hard, as you might imagine. <laughs> so rubber, it grows in these long vines that wound around the trees and they go up into the canopy. Uh, and in order to get the rubber, the worker would tap or cut the bottom of the vine and let the sap drip out. And they would then carry the baskets of sap back through the jungle. Uh, the problem hmm. was that the rubber around the villages and trading posts, you know, it got harvested pretty fast. So that means that the harvesters, they have to go further and further into the jungle to get it. Yeah, uh, jungle's not safe. Yeah, and also the areas yeah. where the rubber vines tended to grow also tended to be swamplands, making traveling even harder. So that's cool. And, you know, crocodiles. Yeah, and then What are you doing in my swamp? And jaguars also killed a lot of people as they were out trying to do this. Um, as they do, yeah. Yeah. So depending on how high the base of the rubber vine was, getting up to it could also be dangerous. Uh, many men, like, would fall to their death or they would, like, fall and be injured and, you know, they're, like, three days away from the village then they just die um, See, thanks to modern technology, we can just clear-cut the swamp. Yeah, and fill it in. Just cut the trees down, let them fall into the swamp, and, you know, yeah. Or you just get that guy to drain the swamp for you. I was about to make a drain the swamp <laughs> joke. You fucking beat me to it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, many men fell to their death, or they received other injuries from climbing trees to try and harvest rubber. Uh, so, yeah, you have an issue. The rubber, the rubber harvesters have to work over a spread-out area, and so you can't, like, supervise them easily, directly. And sometimes they have to travel, like, days through the jungle to find a rubber vine and begin working on it. And it's hard, sucky work, so you have to compel people to do it. And again, it's hard to compel them because it's such a spread-out area that it's like, what, do you just assign each harvester a soldier like, to just keep his gun pointed at him the whole time. Like, that seems inefficient and difficult. Um, so, <clears throat> with the men who drag the ivory along the paths, you know, it's easy enough for a few soldiers to keep a whole column in line. But how do you accomplish the same thing with the distributed workforce? And so, the innovative force public had a solution. So, you roll up to a village, right? And you take all the women prisoner. And you don't return them until the men of the village have collected enough rough rubber to satisfy your demands. And failure to return the rubber could mean that, you know, your wife gets executed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, she might just die anyway because the prisoners were, like, packed in like animals and they're barely I mean, given enough food. She's probably at least getting raped. Yeah, no, that was happening also extremely <laughs> commonly. Why does rape point. keep getting brought up this episode? <laughs> So, I mean, usually when, like, a military force has unlimited control over a population, uh, it's, there's going to be some rape. That's true. Yes, unfortunately, it's a common recurring theme in human history. Um, so, you know, uh, best of luck to the Kurds, I guess. I hope they take over. Yeah. So, here's an excerpt from the official manual given to administrators in the Congo Free State. 
<sighs> in Africa, taking prisoners is an easy thing to do. For if the natives hide, they will not go far from their village and must come to look for food in the gardens which surround it. In watching these carefully, you will be certain of capturing people after a brief delay. When you feel you have enough captives, you should choose among them an old person, preferably an old woman. Make her a present and send her to her chief to begin negotiations. The chief, wanting to see his people set free, will usually decide to send representatives. And how? That's some fucked up shit. I yeah. hate that. Like, it's, it's fucking... a manual on being, like, the worst kind of yeah, sociopath. Here's, here's how to be the worst people ever. <laughs> yep. So, uh, it's about this time we get into the niche hobby of collecting hands. Collecting, uh, what? Hands. Ah, oh, yes, okay. I heard that correctly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's I'm, like I'm gonna guess this isn't asking for... Yeah, I was gonna say, applause. like, llamas and hats. <laughs> yeah. Carl! That kills people! So, I eat hands. What did you do? Oh, well, you know, I enslaved a whole population, and then I cut their hands off. So... And actually, there was a rumor going around along, among the native people that, like, the white guys were eating their hands, and that's why they were cutting them off. Um, so, and, you know, anyway. Meets I, meat. So, as I said, uh, murder was kind of a regular part of the process in the Congo. The force publique was busy fighting rebels and murdering people constantly. But since they were so afraid of mutinies, as I said before... Uh, those also happen. You know, the officers, they want proof of killing someone in order to give out more bullets to the soldiers because they were afraid that, like, men might be saving ammunition to revolt or, like, they might be wasting it on hunting animals. So how do you prove that you killed someone? Ah, uh, like, you take the hand. Because, yeah, naturally... Yeah, I mean, you know, scalping takes too long. Right, and, like, you could bring in the whole body, but, you know, it's a lot of work. You have to, like, drag them in, and what if you killed you multiple do an people? Ear. So, I mean, yeah, that could have also have worked, but they, like they said ear, a lot. And if you cut it right, it has that natural hole, so you can make a necklace out of it? I was about... I, that's what I was thinking, you know? So, obviously, you know, you we should need have, to make You should have been places. there, Dylan. You could have really helped him out, I guess. I really, could have, I really could have optimized this whole situation. You could have done well in the Congo Free State, you know? Could have made made a name for yourself that we'd then be talking about on this podcast as one of the worst humans to ever live. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, the efficient solution that the Force settled on, though... Hey... I'm not done yet in my current life, buddy, okay? <laughs> I have plenty of time left for more atrocities. Just you wait. <laughs> Just you wait. I'm gonna collect so many hands and ears. Hell yeah, yeah. So, they would cut off a hand, uh, and they'd bring that in to prove that they killed someone. So the soldiers, you know, you cut off the hand of the people you shoot, and then you present this as evidence to get more bullets um, or also get paid because sometimes you're getting like paid basically for how many people you killed. So that's interesting Great. because you said they weren't allowed to use currency, but now like hands have become their currency. Well, I think there was like some use of currency, but I, they just weren't like the, the tribal people weren't allowed to use currency with Yeah, you other. don't want them to develop mm. their own economy and... 
have a middle class. And... Well, no one would have any hands left. <sighs> so sometimes it would take a while before the hands could get turned in, right? So they would smoke the hands to prevent them from rotting. Oh, no. Before they turned them in. <laughs> Um, and there were so I many. I mean, that's not as gross as letting it rot, I guess. But but yeah, so so many units were killing so many people that like it became a standard thing that like one of the guys in the platoon would become known as the keeper of hands, and that was his job was just like smoke hands okay. and you know keep the collection of that them. is pretty fucking metal. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Uh, just imagine that's your job title, the keeper of hands. Like it's kind of nuts. Like, at what point do you not, like, have a moment of self-reflection? Be like, am I really where, like, I should be in my life? (laughs) What what decisions did I make to lead to this point? Just as he's, like, watching, he's, like, slowly turning the, like, stick with all the hands (laughs) It's like a rotisserie, like... Are we the baddies? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm the villain. But, like... Let's say, what if you still wanted to hunt? Or, like, what if, you know, again, you're being rewarded for every person you're killing, presumed that they were a rebel or whatever. Um, you so just like, start cutting people's hands off, yes, obviously. you want to boost your numbers without necessarily shooting people. You want to get that KD ratio up. So, yeah, thankfully you can chop someone's hand off without killing them first. And so this is why in so many of the photos of uh, the Congo from around this time period show lots and lots of mutilated people who are missing hands because Uh, they were chopped off by the force public. So that that is is, fucking awful. Yeah, it's there's some pictures in the book like, you know, how you know how some um, books will be where it's not like it's a picture book, but. Like, you'll read it. Yeah, it'll have, like, a random black and white photo or something, yeah. Yeah, or in the middle of it, there'll be, like, 12 pages that are just, like, photos. Yeah, yeah. things, yeah. And there's one that's just awful and depressing. I don't know who took it, because, like, it's not a good photo, so I don't know if it was someone, one of the few people that was, like, trying to get the word out about how bad it was. And it's literally, like, like, what it's described as, like, in the caption anyway, is like a father looking at his daughter's like chopped off hand, like laying on the ground. And it's just the most depressing photo. Yeah. You, you hate to see it. Um, yeah. Okay. Now who the fuck is taking child hands as full points? Yeah. I don't know. Also, <laughs> that's, that should only be, you only get, you get five bullets for a child hand. <sighs> Ten for an adult hand. Uh, yeah, I don't... Like, oh, this one just shrunk up more than usual when we were like, smoking it. Uh, who, who, like... How long did this stay in place? Because how does the... How do the people who instigated this policy not think, oh, yeah, they're just going to cut people's hands off? Uh, or is I mean, that... Maybe that's what they were... Because, like, eventually, like... They're, they're not going to be able to pick right? the rubber... Like, they're chilling over in Belgium. They don't give a fuck. Thankfully, like, it was, they were nice enough that most people, you know, they'd only cut off one hand. They didn't leave most people completely handless, you know. So that was considerate. Most people. Imagine, yeah. like, begging the guy to cut off your offhand so you don't have to, right. like, relearn how to do everything. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, man. just awful. Also, yeah. I imagine, like, if someone cuts off your hand, like, that's a lot. You're going to bleed out. Right, like 
I mean, that's a I, big you can do a open tourniquet, wound. You can cauterize it. You can. There's a few oh, I guess you could. Yeah, you can. A lot of the photos, the people clearly like. It's just like you know, it's grown over. So I don't know what exactly they were using to treat it, but like a lot of people actually did survive this, um, and went on to live, you know, disfigured lives. Yeah. Okay, so brutish policies. The God, the damn. whole time since we started, I was thinking, what's the angle here? And I got it. So here's the elevator pitch, right? We do a grindhouse film. Man's whole family gets their hands cut off. He builds weapons as, uh, as um, what do you call it, um, prosthetics, right? They all get oh. prosthetic weapons, like in Planet uh-huh. Terror. Like Evil right? Dead, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the family, all with their, like, you know, prosthetic weapons, go and take on the, the, the force, the, the people's force. The force public. The, the force public. And then, Hi. yeah, we get... We get Tarantino to direct, or Rodriguez, either one, it doesn't fucking matter. Title of the movie, The Handman. <laughs> the Handyman. The uh. Handyman, that's, nah, that's better. Uh. Alright, Emmy, that is, please. So yeah, right. in, eight, in 1894, Emmy. a Swedish missionary recorded a Congolese song or chant, We are tired of living under this tyranny, we cannot endure... That our women and children are taken away and dealt with by the white savages. We shall make war. We know that we shall die, but we want to die. We want to die. I don't really know what the beat was. Hell yeah. They didn't really describe that in the book, but yeah, that was apparently a song. There's that AI bot that sings in the style of Biggie. We should like plug that into that and like Uh, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, in the midst of uh, all these atrocities going on, a few people actually do start to take notice. Um, the Congo is a distant land with virtually no reason to travel there except businessmen trading in ivory and rubber who largely ignored or you know tried to justify what was being done because of how much money they were being you know loaded into their wallets. Naturally. Um, so, like there were some missionaries and foreign wanderers, but a lot of them didn't have good connections to get the word out or, you know, they would like get they journey like so deep they're like you know hundreds of miles from civilization and there's not exactly a post office at this point so like you didn't really have a great way to tell that many people or they didn't have the notoriety where it's like that they wrote the press like it's like who is this claiming that you know the congo is being subjugated by leopold he seems like such a charming gentleman yeah. It's well known that it's a humanitarian project going on. He though. throws the fun sex parties. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, it's the, but there is like some, you know, trickle of information. And it's through some of these news starts to get out that, you know, Leopold's humanitarian project in the Congo, um, they might have a slight confusion over the meaning of humanitarianism. So an American. Oh, you're supposed to keep the humans alive. Oh. 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 Okay. Oh. I thought we were just supposed to have humans alive <laughs> we, or we dead. Me- we messed up, guys. We messed sorry. up. I'm sorry. Okay. Let's. This got out of hand. I'm sorry. We, we started trading hands. the hands. <laughs> oh. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! It's so awful. So, an American black man named George Washington Williams 
who professed to be Colonel George Washington Williams, but in fact was not, which will slightly come back to bite him a little bit later. Um, he took a trip. Stolen though. valor. That's stolen valor, brother. So. Yeah. So he took a trip through the Congo Free State in 1890, uh, and he was understandably appalled by what he was seeing. So Williams had grown suspicious that something was afoot before ever reaching the Congo when he stopped in Belgium, like first, you know, the first stop was Belgium on his trip from the U.S. And then he was going to go from Belgium to the Congo Free State. Mm -hmm. And he wrote of the visit there, every possible influence was exerted to turn me aside from my mission. An officer of the king's household was dispatched to me for the purpose of persuading me not to visit the Congo. Um, he was told of the horrible diseases that ravaged travelers and that it was rough going and difficult to travel in the country. Uh, and the king asked Williams to postpone his visit by at least five years. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> in reply, Williams told Leopold that he would be setting out within a few days. So Williams would spend about six months in the Congo observing with increasing fury... It's like terrible... when you ask your teacher for an extension on your homework. <laughs> Look, I'll get the living conditions a little better. Just give me five years. I'll yeah. take I'll take a C. I'll take a C. Just let me turn it in five yeah, years from for now. For real, dude. <sighs> Holy shit. Yeah, so he's you know, gets pretty angry the longer he goes on here, uh, realizing the terrible conditions that the state is under. And he would end up writing a public publication simply called open letter addressed to leopold but also obviously published to the wide world in the course of his letter williams accuses leopold and stanley of all manner of evils pointing out that leopold's humanitarian mission is a fraud and that no public works or schools or hospitals were in evidence except for a few sheds quote not fit to be occupied by a horse he levies charges of rape against many administrators, uh, opens call, openly calls Leopold and his government slave traders, and describes the horrific conditions that many of the forced laborers endure. Uh, an open letter was distributed widely throughout Europe and the United States, which began a war in the press over its authenticity. So while many people were appalled by the report, Leopold quickly began, began running counter stories it's calling... It's fake news, folks. Yeah. It's fake news. So he called yeah, Williams... Huh, history repeats itself. Call, he called Williams' claims desperate attempts to promote himself and, you know, make his own name for himself. Uh, and he was somewhat helped by the fact that, you know, Williams was indeed a bit of an embellisher. And his claim title of colonel that he used to help him gain credibility was indeed a fabrication. Uh, while Williams had enlisted in the U.S. Army during the Civil War and saw combat against the South and also Native Americans, but he never achieved the rank of colonel and was likely never an officer in general, um, though records from the time are a little spotty. So Leopold was able to do a decent job of portraying Williams as an embellishing liar, but the cat was out of the bag, and international outcry would only start to grow from this point on as the Williams Open Letter inspired more people to take a closer look at the Belgian incursion into Africa. So the principal figure here is a man named uh, E.D. Morrill. So he's going to take up the cause several years later, although his suspicions were primarily confirmed through other means. 
So Morrill worked for a shipping company in England that worked extensively with the Belgians in the Congo Free State, which Morrill was often sent to supervise because he spoke French. It was during this time working for the shipping firm in the Wee 18... wee baguette. Indeed. Had Sorry, some French... I was late on that one. Yeah. French tendencies. It's during this time working uh, for the shipping firm in the 1890s that his suspicions were aroused. So he would note that cargo ships would arrive from the Congo laden with fortunes of ivory and rubber, yet the trade only seemed to flow one way. On the return journey, vessels were loaded with mercenaries, guns, ammunition, food, pack animals, and other supplies, but nothing even nearing the equivalent value to the resources that were being brought in. And Does Morel- it say, like, like, how valuable would a ship full of these things be? Uh, I don't actually have a dollar amount for, like, how much, like, a ship is, you know... Gonna be yeah, like, I mean, how many Alaskas are on that ship, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a good question. I guess We like, haven't brought that up yet. Yeah, we haven't brought it up yet. I mean, that de- that would depend on the size of the ship. That depends on, like, a lot of factors. But, I mean, it, it worth enough to kill a bunch of people, for sure. Oh, sure. sure. Which actually, guess... as history shows us... It, not actually doesn't actually take that much motivation to at least maim a person so yeah just uh get a couple bullets apparently yeah for a hand so uh hold on guys i need to reload (laughs) oh no oh jesus hey would you give me a hand with this (laughs) hey so in morel's mind uh this lopsided shipping manifest destroyed the idea that there was some sort of mutually beneficial relationship between Belgium and the Congo, and the fact that almost nothing of value was being sent back to pay whoever was harvesting the ivory and rubber could only mean one thing, uh, slavery. So in 1900, Morrill would essentially become a whistleblower and give new credibility to the anti-Congo free state arguers. He published articles containing detailed information of the shipping going to and from the Congo and the massive imbalances therein. In 1903, he would co-found the magazine West African Mail, an Africa-centric publication that railed against the Congo Free State. You do gotta love how they believe the white guy who was just looking at the books, but not the black <laughs> guy who actually went there. <laughs> Pretty much. Just saying. It is just saying. Yeah. Also, what a just astute observation. Like, I don't know. I mean, people get caught. It's like it's like when the drug dealer gets caught because his his light is his tail lights out. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, people get caught for the stupidest reasons just because of little little oversights. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Capone for tax evasion or whatever. So, in nineteen, like, go ahead. That? I, I, I was it, it's doesn't matter go ahead so in 1903 the british would pass an official resolution uh condemning the atrocities of the congo and this would lead this would lead to the creation of the congo reform association in 1904 spearheaded by moral himself um the association would grow to encompass many supporters across europe and the u.s including names such as mark twain and arthur conan doyle um, so gathering testimony from many missionaries who had been operating in the Congo and providing a platform 
for them to speak freely about what they had seen provided new eyewitness testimony as to the horrors that were unfolding there. So under all this external pressure, uh, Leopold, you know, he was kind of sweating, and it seemed that suddenly the whole world knew of his dirty little secret, which he'd been carefully building for years. Within his own country, the parliament was growing increasingly inquisitive as to how dirty the king's hands were, and uh, eventually he was actually forced to authorize a Belgian investigative like council into the Congo Free State, which concurred with the findings of the international criticism. So, caving... Yeah, through all this, I kind of forgot this was, like, the king's, like, little side hustle, right? It's a little play thing, Like, I was thinking, man, how can this whole society be so corrupt? But it's like, well, I guess it wasn't really the whole... Just, just him. It's, it's all his. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, he he kind of fucked himself over in the end because he can't point the finger at anybody else. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, no, it's my fault. Like, just, uh, I mean, he had a bunch of people working for him, obviously, but yeah, like he's the man in charge. Like, you can't even blame it on, like, well, you know, the parliament. You know, they, you know. Hmm. Blah, blah 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 but yeah so eventually do all the like international outcry and pressure from within his own country um it actually like belgium it would actually annex the congo in 1908 which is kind of a weird situation like belgium is annexing a territory from the king of belgium yeah what that's <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. That's funny though. <laughs> and also, like, not surpri- not too surprisingly, it would actually take quite a while for real change to occur. Yeah, my my follow up question was like their their first thought wasn't to be like, oh, we should let them have their country back. It's like, oh, we got to get in on this before they shut it down. Holy shit, he's making <clears throat> a shitload of money. <laughs> yeah, and then it was uh, it wasn't too long after uh, Belgium would take over the state that he actually would die in 1909. So he died uh, December 17th, 1909 in Belgium because, like I said, he never, never bothered to go to Congo Free State. So... Yeah, it. He was his. He what reigned, was his cause of death? Reigned exactly forty-four years. What was his cause of death? That's something I maybe should have looked into more. Um, but I was more just ivory poisoning. You would think. Let me see. He choked on some gum on some yeah, rubber. You gum. would hope that it was something, hopefully, fitting, of his end. Where? It's probably just congestive heart failure. Yeah, I'm trying to like find it from all the waffles here. and chocolate. He's the king of Belgium. You know he had a fucking fatty diet. Oh no, he did also, eat a ton. Like that was known. But yeah, but I'm seeing uh, so there's a video of him, uh, which is surprising. I didn't know video existed this long ago. I um, mean, it's film. Yeah, video, video is used he is, magnetic uh, tape. I mean, he died in 1909, so he's. I mean, he's a skinny-looking guy. Also, he has a crazy beard. I'm having trouble like finding uh, what actually caused his death. 
That's interesting. Um, yeah. It might be one of those things where, like, they didn't say because they don't want the public to know. Oh, yeah, he looks like an asshole. Dies in a particularly embarrassing way. It's like Stalin, where they don't check on him for three days because they're <laughs> so afraid of uh, what's going to happen. That Autoerotic Who logged all the doctors? He looks like he's trying to hide the fact that he's fat. In the yeah, you can tell in this one where he's like fucking old as shit. <laughs> um, he's like he's he's trying to hide it with the slim black straight suits, but he's got a fucking he's got a belly. He's a fat asshole. Oh, I totally <sighs> forgot to mention in all this. Um, I mean, he was—he failed, obviously, so un- unfortunate. But we do have an anarchist cameo in the story in 1902. Yeah. It- Italian anarchist Gennaro Rubino unsuccessfully tries to assassinate King Leopold. So, damn, dude! Almost, almost got him, mm. but not quite. But yeah. So, what did we? What did we learn? <laughs> Um, we learned that having an industry that is purely based on extracting resources is bad. Um, no, that's not it. <laughs> don't <laughs> chop off hands. That's a good one. Yeah, hands as currency equals bad. Um... <laughs> I, I wonder, so, like, this is the thing that, it, like, it's kind of scary to me, like, the level of which humans can be just absolutely psychotic. And this is, like, one of those stories, like, that, like, yeah, it's just like, damn, how fucking bad can we get? Because, like, sometimes it seems like there's no fucking end to it, you know, as far as... Uh, yeah, no, that's and, true. Yeah, because it's like, especially considering like so so much of their force was captured slaves, and like though like obviously a lot of them revolted. Like the fact that they couldn't get a um, what do you what do you call it? A, like a um, a tipping point, like a, a a. They couldn't like spread the rebellion or whatever. Yeah, it was. Just like <clears throat> completely technologically outmatched, or you know, or well, militarily what's crazy outmatched. Is those, so that big, the big revolts, uh, the three thousand mm. guys, they were actually they were doing well. Like I said, eventually they decided, like the majority of them were just like, yeah, you know what, we'll just go over uh, and settle down in a neighboring. Easier to run away than to keep fighting. Yeah, yeah, but they were doing like well. They were like well coordinated, um, and they were like pretty good at like raiding the supply lines of the like force public and so they were like resupplying their equipment and weapons and were able to like keep a pretty good fight going for like i said almost three years but i guess eventually they just were like you know what like we'll just like get out of this place i guess so it is unfortunate but that humanity you know we're uh dark creatures i guess Hope, hopefully we're still evolving, but 
the question is what direction, I guess. And then you have uh, Heart of Darkness is actually written, like inspired by the Congo, by the way, if mm. you weren't aware mm. of that. So, fun factoid about this episode. Is there a is there a is there a final tally for the like what like when did so I actually like pulled up Congo on a map because context clues I'll see you're talking about the river and I noticed there's a Republic of Congo and a Democratic Republic of Congo yeah so one of them is actually the territory that Leopold was like basically like gave to the French mm. um, the smaller one. And then the bigger one is the one that like that's the Congo Free State or what Word. you know was the Congo Free State. So, so. W- it, when did it finally? It wasn't until like 1960 that it gained independence from um, Belgium. And I'm sure nothing bad ever happened there. Again no, and it's afterwards. still it's still obviously a mess because when you just completely screw up a country like this, it takes generations and generations to recover. And also, what does recovery even mean? Because it's like, again, it's it's like a fake country. It's like you yeah. have wide varieties of different ethnic groups and tribes that were all living here. And you just kind of drew a border around I it. I mean, because... on this, yeah, on this, in this case, a, a recovery would just be autonomy. But, uh... but it's like, what does that mean? Because it's like... You know, do you yeah, that's... like do all the tribes just kind of keep vibing? It means we have to area? abolish all governments, man. That's what it means. Yeah, look, know, the man. the point of this whole like show. Yeah, tribal is that people should vibe. Certainly. Governments be governments be bad. Generally, generally speaking, uh, yeah. Gover- distrust of the government is the humanitarian service that cacistocracy aims to provide through our work here so that's our goal um hmm. so how long how long was this going on in total um well the the free state was officially founded in 1885 Le- leopold dies in 1909 and it's annexed by belgium in 1908 which begins the process of... Wait, so it was three years after he died? What was that? No, it was annexed... They didn't... It was annexed uh, the year before he died. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. But I, I really, like, conditions wrong. didn't really start to improve for the better part of a decade. <clears throat> and even then, it was still run, like, not a great place to be. It's just kind yeah. of a whole separate episode. We, like, mostly... Like we could almost, I think at some point we might make a like basically part three. It's not going to be the immediate follow up to. It's not going to be like that's going to be episode eleven. But there might mm. essentially be a part three to this eventually that'll be covering um, the Belgian control of the Congo from nineteen oh nine until nineteen sixty, uh, because that's also pretty messed up. It's also where like uh, we got the uranium to like build the nuclear bombs that we dropped on Japan. Fun oh, fact. Good. So like yeah, that stuff was harvested with. Uh, very poor labor standards um so that's cool but how is the congo now um you know like many african countries just kind of hanging on doing their best yeah Uh, living the best life it's hard when uh, all the infrastructure that the previous guys who were destroying your country left behind basically just go from like, you know, 
the hunting grounds where you killed the elephants to the port, and that that's it. yeah. It's got a per capita GDP of eight hundred and forty three dollars. Oh, cool! If I'm reading this right, our nominal mm. per capita is five hundred one. So what? I don't know what that compares to. I believe uh, the per capita GDP of the United States is like pretty darn close to sixty thousand dollars. So, you know, just like, huh, a, like basically like a hundredth of the per capita wealth, I guess. Yeah, I'd like to see that in a lineup. I'm very curious. I'm sure what it's very interesting low. Life, I don't know like... fully offhand, but like, it's just, it's hard when your country's like infrastructure again has been built, like not to connect the people to each other but to connect the resources to like the places where those resources can leave the country yeah like you see that in like a lot of african countries that like the railroad lines go from like where the mines are to the port cities yeah and then like there are cities that aren't connected by rail or the country might not have any the country might literally not have a rail connection to its neighbors because again it's just like how do we get the stuff to the ocean to get it back to like France or England or wherever? Like it's kind of brutal. Um, and so then of course that hinders trade between like neighbors in the area, which, you know, hinders economic growth and raising the standard of living for your people. So it's just super awesome. Well, this was a very depressing episode. Yeah, Merry Christmas, most, everyone! Yeah, yeah Merry one Christmas! One of the most depressing ones we've done so far. I'm sorry, this has ended up being the Christmas episode. <laughs> no, but it's also though it's it's fascinating because like I've always heard of the Congo, but like I knew nothing about it yeah. at all. Like I don't think I don't feel like I learned about the Congo in school. Um, so this was neat. This is neat. Uh neat horrible thing that happens it's yeah. pretty fucking terrible yeah yeah so that's cacistocracy episode 10 thanks for tuning in everybody we'll just leave it on the most somber note possible yeah johnny i hope you're happy no 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 Oh, he doesn't know any more words. <laughs> know That's all he's got. Well.